Sometimes to love something is to forget its most annoying bits. Maybe we block out just how bad a character's actions are because we like the actor or the film. Maybe we recognize our partner's faults and our own and still choose to strive for mutual respect and bettering each other. Choosing to remember and choosing to forget both make us human and both allow us to move forward. Welcome to Cinema Credo, conversations on film and faith. I'm Adam Glass. Strength and mercy for me and for me every day. Life and light will bleed into love. Corinne Labita. I was born and raised Catholic. My dad was a deacon of the Catholic Church, but now I find myself a bit more on the abstract side of things. <laughs> it's really hard to to kind of pin it down because I haven't really tried in a long time. Uh, the film that we watched was Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, my favorite film in the whole world. Um, so you've never, you've never are really sat down and, and, and articulated what you believe right now. I won't necessarily ask you to do that, but we'll, we'll hit a few highlights of things you believe. Uh, yeah. You read tarot now. Yes. Professional um, tarot reader. Uh, you, uh. I also do Reiki healing. Okay. Yeah. Anything else in that vein you, you just, uh, to give people an idea of sort of where you're at? Um, I think it's easy to kind of go down the the new age hole and that causes people to roll their eyes and I get it. (laughs) Right. Uh, for me, it's more of, um, I think my philosophy in in general is that existence is, is weird. Yeah. Existence is gorgeous and ineffable and fricking weird. And that's kind of where I lie philosophically. Yeah. You were uh, earlier this evening. Uh, you you were in a conversation about the the paranormal as yes. a, in a in a large umbrella term for that. Loves it. And you you asked me what I thought, and I I was dismissive. I I said, oh, it's all aliens. Um, right. But to, it was but, funny. But in, in the moment, it was funny. Uh, to to give you a, a serious answer to that, I would say. Uh, I think uh, nine times out of ten, what gets attributed to the paranormal probably has a natural or human-caused explanation. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that could even be discovered in right. investigation remains to be seen. Sure. But nine times out of ten, it probably has some sort of rational explanation, even if the rational uh, could find it. expand a little bit, uh, yeah. But beyond that, I... Uh, I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the metaphysical, and I believe that there are there are things out there that uh, that we do not currently understand as humans uh, from a scientific perspective. So we'll yeah, I, I think, um, and I agree with that. I think that for me, um, that it, 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 at the risk of of going way too down this rabbit hole, yeah. 
Um, I I always describe things like science mm-hmm. and philosophy and mathematics and um, oh geez, like any kind of discipline that you can look at academically. Those are all languages. They all help explain or describe existence. And that if you were to look at them in aggregate, um, they give you a larger picture as a whole than to try and uh, keep it so small. Right. Right. For me, you take all of that. There's my spirituality is to look at the aggregate of what all of those things have to offer you. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Well, one thing uh, I've talked about on previous episodes of Cinema Credo, uh, particularly I, it comes to mind the uh, the episode with Stephen Goldmeyer about uh, goodness uh, Groundhog Day. Um, one thing I talked about there was you know this this project is specifically to talk to people about. Uh, religiously significant movies to them but in that way religion and philosophy bump up a lot together that was a great Um, episode by the way oh thank you thank you um steven was was very good on that yeah he was i will put all of all of the praise on him yeah he was Uh, fantastic he's a he's a great great person to talk to and uh and he could probably do three more hours on groundhog's day so we might uh we might make that a regular thing you should Uh, assuming this lasts a year um but uh, but actually, another thing uh, another thing that came up in that episode uh, was uh, Nietzsche's idea of the eternal return. Yeah. Um, and obviously, in Eternal Sunshine, Nietzsche gets directly quoted. Absolutely. Um, Blessed are the forgetful, for they get the better even of their blunders. Nietzsche's idea of the eternal return, essentially, as I described it there, kind of boils down to a philosophy of living a life you'd be willing to repeat. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Which is simplifying that to perhaps too much, but right, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, when this movie interacts with Nietzsche, um, it does so as as Nietzsche you know, traditionally people, Enlightenment philosophers uh, sort of talked about memory as part of what makes us human mm-hmm. and our ability to remember. And Nietzsche countered that it's our ability to forget that makes us human. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that, uh, that it's the active ability to suppress, but not necessarily even purposefully suppress. But, but that suppression, purposeful or not, is something that is important and inherent to the human existence um well he was cynical he was cynical he was very (laughs) he was was a cynical cynical dude but but uh but i think that's (coughs) it is so much of religion and philosophy uh speaks positively um and nietzsche gets lumped in with nihilism and and sometimes unfairly uh but uh but there is that sort of negative approach has has merit sometimes, and I think I think to Nietzsche's point about forgetfulness, it, it does. Uh, the idea of being able to forget as making us human, in as much as anything makes us human, and that's a conversation we could have for five thousand years, as we have. Uh, <laughs> so that's yeah. really interesting. Um, 
I I see that perspective, and yeah. it, it's not that I necessarily disagree. I think that it's um, yeah, the act of forgetting is definitely human. Um, but insofar as it helps shape what you decide to give your focus to, right, right. So that and that's where I would come off of that Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like I think that um, it is very easy to go cynical. And to mistake that for um, uh, realism yeah. or, or, or even like rationality. Rationality, right? Yeah. Like, those words tend to like stick in my craw a little bit yeah. because, yeah. like, people who claim realism or rationality are often just cynical. Right. Um, and yeah, so I think one of my favorite things about this movie, uh, before we really get into it, but to address the Nietzsche thing, it's like, uh, the act of forgetting, which is on the flip side, the act of willingly remembering only wish w- that which you wish to remember yeah. defines your reality. Right. And because you decided to only remember this and allow that to define how you perceive things is the act of creation. And that is fascinating to me. I absolutely love that. (laughs) Destruction is itself a a form of... Yeah, destruction, creation, right. Because those things are... are, uh, You can't separate them. They they are inherently neutral and inherently in every act. And that's fascinating. Um, Nietzsche compares active forgetfulness to a doorkeeper. Or a, yeah. a guardian of mental order, of rest and etiquette. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So not, you know, he says, uh, oh, you can see that, that without forgetfulness, there would be no happiness, cheerfulness, hope, pride, immediacy. Oh, yeah. So, so that's like the better side of it, right? right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and that's that's one thing that, that came up with Stephen, too, is that so many of the sort of Nietzsche sound bites we're familiar with are, right. are just the really cynical things. Right, right, right. Uh, but then where, he had where it. even the next sentence is uh, like so much better. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I was also reminded watching this and I, I shared this with you uh, right after we finished watching it. Uh, but I was reminded of a, a Borges quote uh, that I really love. That's uh perhaps kind of counter to that Nietzsche claim is he says, uh, I'm not sure that I exist. Actually, I am all the writers I have ever read, all the people I've ever met, all the women I've loved, all the cities I have visited, all of my ancestors. Yes. And that is, that is an idea, you know, you talk uh, enlightenment philosophers saying that, that remembering is, is, is what makes us human. But Borges is saying that, that what makes him who he is, are all of the things he remembers. Right, right. the series of experiences. Right. Yeah. But the flip side of that is everything you forget right. in its absence also forms who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that makes me think of um, Watsuji, and I might be saying that wrong, and I apologize. Uh, but Anyone each... familiar with the podcast I'm on knows that name <laughs> pronunciation is not a high priority for us. Oh, man, so. yeah. I remember um, when I took a Eastern philosophy class and... Uh, we study Watsuji, and Watsuji was talking about how we are essentially the summations or the the, the aggregate of our experiences. Yeah. And without those experiences, we can't possibly exist as a functioning being. Right. Right. And I always love that. Yeah. Uh, and all of that 
plays into the plot of this movie. Yes, it does. Because <laughs> this movie's amazing. Yeah. Um, even, you know, uh, we get... Who is the poet? The, Alexander the Pope. Pope, yes. Yeah. The, the Pope poem, where, the, where we get the title, and we get an active quote from Nietzsche, but those ideas of what the self is and what a meaningful life is yeah. in remembering and forgetting are a major theme of this. Now, it is... Yeah. Uh, in that regard, it's interesting to uh, to think about the ending of this movie and whether or not uh, our filmmakers think that Nietzsche is right, <laughs> or at least the the popular understanding of Nietzsche, uh, because they do go at it at the end. Yeah, you know, they both the okay, okay, and the truthfulness of that is, yes. is beautiful. It's amazing, uh, but it is also what that means is they have decided, you know. I think I think the corporation uh, deleting people's memories are meant to be antagonists in this film. Right? Yes, <laughs> not, yeah, they are the antagonists. They are they are not uh, they are not uh, ethically acting in right. what they're doing in offering this service. I think it is particularly egregious in the ethics of what they're doing that uh, uh, Kate Winslet's character in an emotionally agitated state and possibly uh, chemically altered uh, gets the procedure done. Right. <laughs> That's, uh, that's like that's very bad, right? 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 <laughs> From a medical standpoint, but uh, but even even if if such a service existed uh, or could exist, the very idea of offering it commercially seems like a pretty ethical, ethically uh, dark area. It is, and <laughs> it's also like rewatching it after so many years. And, like, I originally watched it when I was 19, so watching it at 34, yeah. it was interesting of, like, one all the plot holes where you're yeah. like, how do you <laughs> even make that happen? Where yeah. someone who is so a part of your entire identity yeah. for any amount of time and to just delete them is to delete, and they kind of address it, you yeah. kind of delete that entire time period, and you don't even know who you are anymore. And they send out the cards to all your mutual friends. All your friends, yeah. and they're I supposed to just pretend, yeah. Now, obviously, <laughs> obviously, even you know, even 15 years ago, that right. was an easier process than it would be today. Right, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, but even 15 years ago, social media was already on the rise, and, and for, for people our main character's age, maybe not necessarily as much, but right. people younger than them certainly already had their MySpaces and their Zangas and their friends. <laughs> yeah. What was interesting about um, what I found out later about the original screenplay is that it was a lot like Groundhog Day, where, yeah. like, in the original screenplay, both of the main characters went through this procedure multiple times. Yeah. And then, multiple, and like, they kind of allude to that at the very end, yeah. where, like, you had the fade out of them just repeating the, the snow fight over yeah. and over and yeah. over and over again. And they keep going through, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, I love that. All of this just comes down to Groundhog's Day. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah, when we talked about Eternal Return with Groundhog yeah. Day, it's it's about you know doing something over and over again, uh, you know, so that you'd be living living your best life, so you're willing to do it. And there's yeah. a certain hope in that, right? Yeah. So, um, with this, the Eternal Return is just uh, the inescapability of fate. Um, yeah, I, the inescapability of fate, but also the act of um, of submitting to it, yeah. like there. Okay, so in Tarot, you have the hangman. And mm. it's interesting because this is the year of the hangman. But the act of submitting 
to what your circumstances mm. is the act of um, no longer fighting against what existence is for you. That you're no longer going out of your way to resist, to to uh, try to make your world and who you are to be anything more or less than exactly what it is. And then once you just accept things, warts and all, that that's when growth actually is allowed to happen. And I feel like with Eternal Sunshine at the very end, and again, we're kind of skipping through here, but the end is just everything, right? Them. It's the nature of the narrative. Right. The final act of them and their stark honesty and understanding who they are intrinsically and more importantly, who they are in relationship to each other and accepting it wholeheartedly for what it is. That is like, you just like, holy crap. Is that one of the most profound statements of what it is to be in a relationship and with other people as well as with existence itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, if our friend Jonathan were here, who we talked to last month, yeah. uh, he would he would name that as one of the major themes of the Bhagavad Vivida. Yeah. Um absolutely. And, uh, and certainly within Christianity and 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 and, and Jewish thought, uh, there's you know the the giving everything to God and the the yeah. sort of the, uh, the finding joy even in uh, in pain. Yeah. Uh, but, I I think like as I as I age and as I explore my spirituality, the act of releasing judgment, mm-hmm. the uh, the sense of radical ju- or ra- um, I'm sorry, radical non judgment or radical forgiveness, mm-hmm. is to release the idea of extremes, the idea of um, good and bad, black and white, this is how things are supposed to be, and just allow things to be. Mm-hmm. And when you allow things to just exist exactly as they are, um, and not allow it to be this intense, I don't know, expression of what you think is wrong with the world and all that, to allow it to just be and to take away that judgment is like I that is an act of enlightenment to me. Mm-hmm. Um it's like, you know, I do I do workshops on shadow work and like I talk a lot about shame. Yeah. And this movie deals a lot about shame, like especially for the Joel character. And like how he shuts down every time he feels humiliated and ashamed and it like causes all of this crises and, and it is basically all other things boil, like all of their insecurities boil down to shame and how they express that shame at each other. And if you can just release that idea of judgment, it like, it, it releases all of the pain that they harbor. Um, for the sake of anyone listening who is not familiar with Jungian philosophy, would you explain <laughs> what you mean by shadow work? Yeah. Um, so Jung uh, postulated this idea of um, that in all people, 
we have this side of ourselves uh, that he, he called the shadow. And it is all of the things that we um, hide, that we push down, that we feel shame, guilt, that we think uh, is unseemly. All of the parts of ourselves that we don't, we don't like, that we um, actively fight against. Uh, we push it down deeply into our subconscious and then those things tend to create chaos in our lives because um, anything that we tend to ignore or tend to push aside and refuse to work through oftentimes will come out and uh, get stronger. Yeah, yeah. And that shadow work is examining yeah it's shining light on those parts yeah i i talked very very briefly about that a little bit with steven as well in the in the uh, groundhog day episode just Mm -hmm. in the concept of of phil needing to see his shadow in order to to work yeah he was oh my gosh Um, yeah and uh in the the metaphorical power of of the groundhog seeing its shadow in order to escape winter Right. right um but yeah, I want to maybe switch gears a little bit and maybe get a little <laughs> meta too. Uh, one of the first comments you made while we were watching the movie uh, was in reference to Elijah Wood's character <laughs> and not remembering him being, uh, I believe, this disgusting. Is what so gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he is, he is very gross in the movie. Uh, but, uh, but in talking about editing memories and, and, you know, you named this as your favorite movie and, yeah. and before we put it on, you said, this is, uh, this anomaly are the movies I've seen the most in life. Yes. And, uh, and then we started watching it and it was, oh, Elijah, what's bad? <laughs> like he was always bad, but he wasn't like yeah. so bad. Yeah. You get, and that's, that's another thing about watching a movie over and over again is that as you have more life experience, yeah. you know, you reinterpret it. And it's important when you have more life experience and more knowledge to look mm-hmm. at the things you used to enjoy or or even things you used to hate, you know, to look at your past and reinterpret things. Right. Right. That's one thing. Uh, <clears throat> I teach a class on Sundays. It's an anti-racism class uh, right. for some Mennonites. And we're currently going through uh, uh, Ibram X. Kendi's um, um, Stamped from the Beginning mm-hmm. and is a history of racist ideas in America is the subtitle of the book. So one thing that I'm actively really encouraging the class to do is that as you learn more about the history of how racist ideas have, have manifested in the U.S., look at what you know now mm-hmm. and go back with that new lens and re-examine. Right? Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, this is, the book itself is a single lens look at history. So it's it's very easy to get discouraged because we're only looking at the racism and the anti-racism, the segregation and assimilation, and how those different ideas play out. Uh, but your what you know of history, particularly as we get into the present day, where we are with the book now, we've just gotten into the '60s when many of my many of my uh, students have been uh, were born, um, and uh, and we're getting into things that they remember happening. And it's important that to recognize the lens that you've you're looking at your history through, you know. Yeah. Um, particularly when we talk about a figure like Malcolm X, and you know, all of these people, they're white middle class people. They're born white, white middle class people. 
what they know of Malcolm X from from the very earliest they knew anything about Malcolm X is that he was an anti-white black separatist. Right. Uh, and that is not an accurate depiction of, right. of Malcolm yeah. X, right? So it's uh, it's important as you get new information to re-examine and look yeah. back at yourself, right? Um, it's like the contextualization, especially as society shifts its own values, is, right. is huge, yeah. Um, and one... You know, with with the movie, where where they are actively forgetting and being made to forget, uh, new information comes and becomes all the more jarring, right? Yeah. Like when uh, when they discover uh, when uh, Kirsten Dunst's character sends everyone their tapes. Yes. Right. And then you've got uh, this is my voice talking. I know this is my voice, but it is describing a thing I do not know that is wholly foreign to me. Yeah. Um. And that, that uh, reasonably uh, freaks out our main characters. Right, right. <laughs> um, God, could you imagine to meet someone and then suddenly find a tape describing that person, but all right, the worst right. things that you're not there, you don't see yet. Yeah. yeah. Like, damn. <laughs> I've had mild experiences where I've run across something that I had wholly forgotten in my life. Uh-huh. Uh, I think uh, the uh, the uh, memories option on Facebook has been good for that for me because I've been on Facebook for 13 years now. There are people in my Facebook memories who I have no idea who are. Right. Oh, uh, man. Um, and not even, like, like, occasionally some amount of investigation I can figure out who they were and who they, who they were to me at wow. some point. But sometimes I can't. That's intense. Um, which is weird, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I often tell a story about this piece of paper I have from when I worked at a hotel for many years, which is how we know each other. Right. Um, on which it's a full sheet of uh, printer paper folded in quarters. And in the very middle, I have written Kalbfeld, K-A-L-B-F-E-L-D. I assume it's a name. I have no idea what it means. And I, I keep it. Because whenever I find it, I just put put it back where I found it. Right. So I run across it like once every six months <laughs> and have no idea what Kolbfeld is. Uh, but there's probably a tape out there somewhere that's got uh, me and Kolbfeld's entire relationship on it. And, uh, someday someone will mail it to me and <laughs> day, blow my done. mind. <laughs> uh, there's a thing I'm hesitant to, to bring up. Um, and and I don't Ooh. know if I should be hesitant to bring it up. It's too late because you've been to... you've been very open uh, in the past. Uh, so if I if I ask you something you don't want to answer, please just open book. Um, there's a deleted scene where it's revealed that Mary and Howard's relationship was much deeper than uh, what we get in the film. Right, and that not only did did Kirsten Dunst have an affair with her boss that he made her forget and did not make himself forget. Uh, but that he, uh, in the deleted scene, forced her to have an abortion. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, forced her. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Or suggested that she have it, but in any case, uh, there is... Yeah. <laughs> whether or not, uh, you know, within the movie, it's it's left sort of ambiguous whether or not she had agency in deciding whether to have the procedure to forget the affair. Yeah. Um, and that's a little gross, too. A yes. lot gross. It's incredibly very gross. Um, 
I appreciate that that section, that that's a deleted scene, if only because it suggests, maybe even unconsciously, a uh, a correlation between an abortion and the procedure. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. As uh, and as someone who's had an abortion, it's yeah. okay. No, I yeah. am very open to talking about the abortion because I think that we need to renormalize this thing. Yeah. Um. So the what what is the question so exactly? I, I, I suppose um, maybe not even necessarily a question, just a, a topic to think about. Of uh, you know, it's on the cutting room floor, right? So. So there's there's that act of forgetting <laughs> meta too, sure. but but the idea of uh, one of the reasons it being in the script, I feel maybe the suggestion of a uh, of a relationship between having an abortion being an act of forgetting. Uh yeah yeah oh that's interesting. Um I can see that. Yeah. Uh, I think we don't really live in a society that allows you to forget things like that. I think that's fair too. Yeah. It would be nice it would almost be nice. Um I think that currently anything women do for themselves, especially when it comes to their health, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to their reproductive health, is an act of rebellion even when it shouldn't be. Yeah. Like um like I said, I was raised Catholic. My parents were progressive, but abortion was like the one taboo, right? And apparently I exist to push every single button my parents, <laughs> especially my mom, has. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the first year of my current relationship, I got pregnant and I did not want it. I had an abortion. And in the moment, it was devastating because of being raised that way. And then... I got to the point where I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) like, this is normal. What I did was normal. What I did was completely fine. Not only was it fine, it was better for me. Um, And it's interesting, like, uh, like, I, I don't get to forget it. Right. Because um, I then have to stand up as a symbol of strength for all the other women. Right who want to be able to make those same decisions, right? Like, it's just like, <laughs> and like being willing to be in like a mixed company and be like, yep, had an abortion and just look at people in the face, you know, <laughs> look them in the eyes, like come at me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, in, in that regard, uh, it wouldn't be something you want to forget. Uh, necessarily yeah i mean it would be nice for it to be no different than getting um a pap smear or which is uncomfortable un unpleasant nobody wants it but like in the end you do it because it's best for you yeah yeah um yeah and you know what i thinking about how long they were working on on this idea and, mm-hmm. and the script and different revisions of the script to the fact that that was even shot. Um, I'm just, 
I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus who's who's not in the room, particularly right. movie directors who who I will never talk to. Uh, but but the idea that it made it that far as uh, I don't know. I just I I felt like maybe it was trying to suggest that, uh, and and in a way the procedure is um, cutting out of a self. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know that's a. It's a very tight rope to walk down in having. Yeah, it's also uh, it's good to have those questions. Yeah. Um, if nothing else, then like um, the the whole Mary situation, the whole Mary and then Patrick. Yeah. They don't get into it too hard in the movie because in the end, it needs to be about Joel yeah. and Clementine. Um, but they do do a good job of raising the question of of agency. Right. They do a good job of... They don't explicitly say that Patrick is a villain, but the fact that Mary hates him and everyone is gross, kind of grossed right. out by him. Right. Uh, they let you know exactly where you're supposed to stand with Patrick without... Um, Making him a caricature. Yeah. Though I also think yeah. Patrick's actions themselves are are, are pretty self evidently amoral. Yeah, amoral. yeah, yeah. They're like <laughs> so amoral, gross. Amoral. Yeah. Um by by any by any standard by of any morality. Standard, yeah. I feel like Patrick is immoral here. Right. But they do um, a great job of like they don't give him the power of being a villain. They give yeah. him they they put him exactly where he is, right. which is this pathetic little thing yeah. who has no idea. How to, like, he has so little self-worth that he literally has to steal someone's words and ideas because he values himself so little. And he misunderstands partnership so intensely that he he has to trick someone into being his girlfriend. It's it's another... this movie explores different types of relationships, right? Yeah. And different ideas about relationships. And Patrick's idea of a relationship is that there are uh, milestones to hit, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And actions that need to happen in yes. order for all of this to make sense and, and work together. And he is himself incapable of doing those actions yeah. on his own. So he has seen a relationship that... That he that's the weird thing is that he sees a relationship he knows has failed, right? Right. And then he still tries to enact but those stones so that he that. hopes he can do that better. Yeah. <laughs> because he doesn't even have that. Right. Having right. a failed relationship means like at least you had something. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even have that. Yeah. Right. right. Um so yeah, I you know he's he's exercising this on uh I can't remember Kate Winslow's character's name. Clementine? Uh, Clementine. He's exiting this on, on Clementine uh, in a way that's removing her agency from that situation because yeah. he's, um, you know, he's he's using something that he knows she had an remo- emotional response to yeah. before and trying to trigger that emotional response as on, with him right. as, the, as the positive influence there. Um, you know, what Howard uh, does to Mary is even worse yeah super insidious um, super insidious um yeah uh particularly with the added deleted scene 
even more so, but it was already yeah. insidious. Yes. Right? It was already, like, like, that is, you're at rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, so, so in, in a way, that deleted scene wasn't even needed because it was already... Yeah. I mean, yeah. Wh- what a way to express the way that, uh, I mean... Right. I'm just going to go say it. Like, the way that patriarchy erases oh, yeah. women. And... Yeah. And, or and, anyone who's not deemed admissible. Yeah. In that regard... Uh, what Howard has done to Mary is already erasing her agency and yep. her, uh, so forcing her to get an abortion on top of that is right. just that more so and perhaps too real. Yeah. We've already got the, the metaphorical, uh, <laughs> absolutely. I think it was metaphorical truth <laughs> happening to yeah. ratchet that up one more. It was the right, right, um, right thought yeah. to get rid yeah. of that scene. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, sure. Uh, you talked about the difference between watching this, uh, you know, you first watched this when you were 19. You 19. Um, and 19 is also sort of when you started deconstructing your faith. And yes. What well, up with. I started at 12, but 19, <laughs> it was really yeah. intense. Yeah. Um, well, if you started at 12, did you go through uh, um, it, uh, catechism classes? And, and oh, yeah. I went through it all. Yeah. I had to uh, to keep my mom happy. Yeah. It was actually my, so my dad's a deacon. He's a permanent deacon. Uh-huh. And. When I was 12 years old, uh, my mom had gone through this intense orthodox phase. Um, and uh, I, I'm the youngest of four. And so I kind of bore the brunt of mom's orthodoxy where, like, yeah. I was doing worksheets to Mary and, and all this stuff. It was it was intense. When I was 12, uh, my dad, at one point, it was before I was confirmed, was, he pulled me aside at one point and was just like, you're at an age where you're old enough to start questioning this stuff. And it's really important that you do. And just to basically summarize what he said, it was just, he's like, I need you to know your own mind. Because there's a lot of stuff in the Catholic faith that is that is kind of messed up. And you're going to have to reconcile with it. And he's like, and I would rather you reconcile it and talk to me than to, you know, uh, confront it and have it just be so confusing and so, you know, affronting that you can't, like, you just kind of lose it. And that started this, I mean, that was such a cool moment. And then (laughs) it led me to becoming an atheist for a while. It was really funny. But dad and I always established, like, we, he and I would have these really, really, really long conversations about religion, philosophy, and, and he didn't care what I thought. All that he cared is that I would have co- the conversation with him yeah. and, that I, and that he could present all these different ideas that would kind of help mellow my j- knee-jerk yeah. reaction yeah. against the patriarchy again. Um <laughs> Which is cool. Um, and then now that, you know, I'm in my 30s and I'm reading tarot of all things and yeah. and uh, I've gotten deep, deep, deep into esoteric um, uh, spirituality. And it's really funny because now I look at my mom's orthodoxy and I'm like, oh, while I don't agree with it, I kind of see what you're about, mom. I yeah, what she was going yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. There's here. some, like, weird stuff out there that oh. orthodoxy is is talking about. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> the, uh, 
the esoteric aspects of Christianity. Or, uh, can, oh can man, they're so cool. Yeah. They're so cool. Yeah. It's too bad that that kind of got sanitized out. Yeah, um, in America especially, yeah. uh, both both Catholic and Protestant faiths in America. Um, that's uh, the actual Orthodox Church uh, still still sort of interacts with with that to a certain level. And I think I think Tom in our conversation on uh, um, Last Temptation of Christ sort of uh, hints at that. And there's sort of uh, there's things. Things you can you can gather from him. Yeah. Where, where, oh my gosh, yeah. I text you and I. Okay, we're not going to go down too deep this yeah. rabbit hole, but there are things. Okay, so I listen to a lot of paranormal podcasts, and you get some weirdos, and I love it. There are things that Orthodoxy will say, like uh, Orthodox, Christian, Byzantine, yeah, yeah. Greek, big old Orthodox, all of those. Yeah. Um, the way that they describe heaven on earth. It's the same way that some alien people describe what they think the aliens are trying to do. And it's not to equate the two. I know that they're not the same, but it's interesting to see the similar patterns of thoughts. And you're like, ah, all right. (laughs) It is interesting the myriad of ways people come around to to the same ideas. Yeah. Um, But one one thing I actually... You know, sort of, sort of the hidden, the hidden purpose of cinema credo uh, that's no longer hidden because I'm about to say it right. is, is one idea I'm very interested in right now is uh, the uh, the areas of shared values more than shared beliefs. Yeah. Right. So I've talked to agnostics. I've talked to. Uh, you know, an ex-evangelical uh, who's who's got Hindu leanings now. You right. Know, I've, I've talked to a, a Greek Orthodox monk, and it's all it's it's all this deep humanism mm-hmm. of wanting to see the world become a better place, right? And mm-hmm. and through that, and honestly, the the far out there uh, paranormal stuff of of yeah. Aliens and and all that. That is its own hope in uh, a belief of a better future coming. Yeah. Um, And then, like, to bring it back to Eternal Sunshine, since (laughs) we're getting way out, but like the 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 act of repeating, Mm -hmm. the act of continued practice of release of letting go mm-hmm. and in in the context of the movie of forgetting but um releasing shame releasing judgment over and over doing coming back to groundhog day like re repeating the act of just doing it a little bit better each time yeah and coming back to that it's got to be a little bit better each time in order to achieve this aggregate of we can't keep going about a destructive way of looking at the world. We have to shift focus. We have to be able to um, see in ourselves something so much better and allow that to be our reality. Right. Yeah. Um, There's a, there's a phrase in the, New Testament of that uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, mm-hmm. and uh, you know so often we think that is temp- temporal mm-hmm. the way the way Christians talk about it. 
Yeah. So the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning uh, Christ's return is imminent. The, the end of the world is coming. And right. Only the specials. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also the idea of it physically. The kingdom of God is at hand. Just reach out. Mm-hmm. Right. Just start building. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, again, I talked about it with Stephen. You know, my, my concept of, of heaven is something where, uh, you know, the last, the last image of Revelation is, is that description of heaven coming to earth. Sure. Right? And, uh, and, you know, uh, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he, he teaches them to pray, your kingdom come mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. It is the, the preaching of the gospel should be a making of the earth into something more heaven-like. Okay. And uh, and that is not something that can happen all at once. <laughs> so right. You gotta keep trying. And gotta keep, keep trying. It, right. Um. But yeah, that uh, particularly in the ending again, you know, where where they know they've listened to the tapes. Yeah. They know where it's going. Yeah. They know they've done it before. Yep. Uh. And they know that it. It's going to end in heartbreak. I can't see anything that I don't like about you. But you right will. Now I can't. But you will. You know, you will think of things. And I'll get bored with you and feel trapped because that's what happens with me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I said, okay. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. That's like, God, that moment is so amazing. I think... So, if I were to ask to be, to like put my thumb on my spirituality, I think my spirituality is a recognition of relationships. Mm -hmm. I think all of life is an act of a series of relationships and how those play out. One of my favorite shows on the planet is Steven Universe. Because it is such an amazing example of this idea, um, especially the character Garnet, where it Garnet is literally two individuals fused into one to make a larger, more dynamic character. And like she sings a song about how her love will conquer, like basically conquer all. But like she says, I, um, I am love. I am a conversation. Like. And that is such an incredible way to describe relationships because again, it releases judgment and it just allows it to be this push and pull of ideas, this push and pull that allows for growth, that allows for um, mutability, that allows for people to not be so stuck in their own ideas about who they're supposed to be. Rather, um, to be in a situation where there's another person that will reflect and show how you're presenting and it allows you to reevaluate within that. I love that. Now, of course, that conversation necessitates both parties being, having the, the same amount of power. Same amount of power Um, and equal amount of respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, you know, I, I only say because, uh, you know, 
exactly. Whenever we talk about, whenever you talk about uh, disparities, gender, sexuality, yeah. race uh, in the real world, um, there is there is a certain type of of often well-meaning liberal who will say, well, yeah. well, can't we all just get along? Let's you know, or just just talk. You know, I've got I've got things to bring to the table. You've got things to bring to the table. Um, but there needs to be an equal give and take, right? And and the society is structured so that there's not an equal give and take through <laughs> from both parties, oftentimes during that conversation, right? Yeah. Because there can't be a, you know, an even give and take. Uh, yes. Because, because of the, uh, the history of, of white patriarchy. Uh, yes, you know, definitely. But even those but, things have their value. Okay. If, you're, if you're able to step back far enough to see what they're contributing to the conversation. Yeah. Because... Yeah. As like, and that goes back to the idea of shame. Like, we have to be very careful not to try and push those things down into and ignore them. Like, we have to get to a point where we're willing to be like, yeah, there are these any unequal relationships, and there are these ugly things, and we need to instead of try to push them away, we need to acknowledge them. And, and again, in a place of non-judgment, see where those things are coming from, give it the space and the compassion so that then it works itself through. Right. Right. I think that it, there is this danger of like, um, and again, well-meaning liberals, <laughs> Uh, there is this danger of wanting to shame people into acting right. Right. And when we try to shame things into acting correctly, we get things like Trump. Right. <laughs> and I know that's a very unpopular thing to say, but it, that's that's what happens. <laughs> I, I think our audience probably. Um, uh I don't know how many people are actively listening to uh, to Cinema Credo right now. Right. I don't know who all of them might be, but uh, if that was a controversial statement, um, <laughs> it's all on me. <laughs> you come find me. My name's Corinne Labita. <laughs> I do a shadow work clash. You can come come argue with me. So other noticeable differences from from that you can think of from the first time you watched this to the... Oh, uh, man. I remember when I was 19 being like, I want to be like Clementine. She's so free. <laughs> and now that I'm in my 30s and I see Clementine and I'm like, lady, you've got to stop hiding behind pretending that you're carefree when you're a big ball of neuroticism. <laughs> like, I think, uh, oh, man. Yeah, it's like... um. Seeing Clementine's and Joel relationship actually makes me angry. Um, now that I've been in my my relationship with my partner, uh, and we've only been together for six years, but six years is still substantial. And like speaking of like like relationships and the push and the pull and how like good relationships force you to confront things about yourself. That uh, maybe you either didn't want to look at, or you thought were cool, but suddenly, like you had to look at look at it reflected back at you, and you're like, "Oh man, um, they are not good for each other." No. If you if you like, yeah, it's, it's admirable that they want to try. Yeah, they yeah, try they do, but and and it really works for the context of their movie. But like, Clementine goes to eleven, 
immediately. Right. Which causes Joel to shut down. But because Joel shuts down and refuses to communicate, that causes Clementine to go even harder. Right. And they're just constantly, like, butting heads and not allowing for the, like, they're not communicating in a way that allows the other person to feel safe, to feel vulnerable. And Clementine does put her thumb on it where she's like, Joel, like, You need to be vulnerable in relationships, but at the same time, he can't be vulnerable because she gets offended by everything. And it's just, it's so interesting to watch their relationship because at the age of 19, I didn't understand any of that. At, At the age of 19, I'm like, oh, they're just... They're like unrequited love and like they're meant to be and they finally figured it out. And in my 30s, I'm like, all right, well, maybe they'll eventually figure it out maybe five times through erasing themselves. (laughs) Once once they're both completely brain dead, it won't work out. <laughs> maybe, maybe eventually, and in those brain wipes, they'll they'll figure out how to properly communicate with one another. That doesn't set the other person off. I was I was thinking that when Nathan Rabin coined the phrase "manic pixie dream girl," he was talking about this movie, but he wasn't. He, he was wasn't. Actually, it was two thousand five's Elizabeth Town. Uh, oh, I thought he was talking Kirsten about Dunn's character in Elizabeth Town is when he first used it. But it, um, generally, generally, when people think about I it, it was it's Garden, Garden State. State with, yeah, uh, but I think he was I, according to what I just looked at. Okay, it was so Elizabeth Town. It was Elizabeth but Town. I thought it was Garden okay. State too. Yeah. Uh, once I once I realized it wasn't <laughs> um, right, wasn't this. Um, but they're all like right around the same time. Um, I mean that. Re- in that regard, though, she's not. She's not. First yeah, off, she's and not. and there's one one particular line where where she sort of attacks that entire concept yeah. that I love. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Yep, I used to memorize that yeah. speech because <laughs> I, so. I was like. Like Clementine, but yeah, no, I absolutely love that because, again, like speaking of autonomy, I think that um, while the movie brushes on the removal of autonomy of the two the two women, they don't actually remove their autonomy. They brush they brush against that line, but they don't actually like they actually. Give them the space to speak them's their own yeah. minds and give them the space to be like, no, you don't get to have these fantasies about us. Yeah. Um, and there are consequences. So, yeah, no, I absolutely I love that about Clementine that she before that was even a concept that she there is a rejection there. But man, she screwed up. Yeah. Man, is she just, she's the, the prolonged adolescence yeah. is really interesting. Um, that is only exacerbated by the fact that she has a partner that doesn't know how to be right. openly vulnerable with her. Which is a different sort of prolonged adolescence. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, man. Yeah. And like, and what a statement about like, oh, I almost said modern relationships, but I think that's just relationships yeah. in general. Like, yeah. The, the breakdown 
of, of, of everyday relationships of like people not willing to be openly vulnerable in any meaningful way that will allow for the compassion and the companionship for a sustained, it's not even just romantic. That's also just any relationship. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, pretty much everything you have said where you use the word relationship. Yeah. We get not just talking about romantic, not at all. Any interpersonal relationship. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, there's also, uh, you know, talking about, uh, Joel is prolonged adolescence. You know, him being our point of view character, we we actually get into that. Yeah, too, right? yeah, with the absolutely. Whole, with the whole uh, his childhood memories and just wanting to be held. Right? Yeah, yeah. And Joel's Joel's entire thing just just wanting to be wanted is is Joel's mo for this relationship. But then he's got a relationship where he wants to be wanted with this Naomi who we never see. Right. Um. um and uh, you know another deleted scene that I'm glad they deleted was was a one night stand he has with Naomi after uh, he and Clementine are together. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, but uh but yeah, it's just it's him as a baby wanting uh, wanting his wanting to be held by yeah. his mother. Um he wants to be wanted but he also like um the the theme of humiliation yeah. runs deep with Joel. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, like that dude, I always say this, like, especially in tarot readings that we all act out our insecurities yeah. and they, they go into that deep in the movie for the both of them. But like his humiliation for simply existing yeah. is intense. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Outside of talking about this religiously or philosophically, uh, or maybe not, uh, the fact that um, Gondry had pretty much all of the special effects in this movie are in camera or practical effects. Um, so good. Which is, which you know, it's a film philosophy that that maybe we could find some ties to the philosophy of the film period <laughs> if we wanted. But just just the the way it's done. And like the people disappearing in uh, in the train station, that's all in camera, right? Just right. you know, pulling them out uh, and and restarting the recording, and uh, you know, the the forced perspective of the of the baby stuff, and just yeah. And they would so, like build the rooms so right, that there were hidden right doors. Where she's, yeah, where she's heading, uh, running through his memories. Uh, yeah, yeah. Going through secret passages, so and that's single. You know, I'm I'm a sucker for single single takes. Yeah, and and just her coming in and out, um, it's amazing. Such uh, a well yeah. filmed. Yeah, like the whole movie is so freaking good. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like even rewatching, even with my my different perspective on the characters, even with all of that, it is such a good movie and that's that it allows for a matured perspective that no matter where you are in your life you can still watch this and be like damn this matters right right yeah you know um and and so often you know you get a movie that struck you as super important when you first watched it yeah and you go back and you're like whoa (laughs) 10 years later 15 years later 20 years later you think oh 
kind of idiot was I? Why I don't? Yeah. This is terrible. Why yeah. do I like Hello, this Hello, Boondock Saints and Fight Club. <laughs> <sighs> I don't think anyone's wanted to talk about Boondock Saints yet, but uh, I can think of at least one person who wants to do an episode who will now purposely pick Boondock Saints. Uh, but, you know, if, if anybody wants to uh, wants to do that, I... Part of the You'll point of this is, it. is to have, have an open conversation about what is meaningful to you, right. uh, not what's meaningful to me, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> now, just the movies people have suggested when they've suggested them, I, plenty, you know, we'll see in future episodes, but there's plenty where on first blush I thought, I have no idea what yeah, we're going to talk about. One? Do you understand the concept of what I've asked you? Right. Like, did you... Yeah, um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, and even you know, to a certain extent, having not seen Death to Smoochie in in tw- you know twenty years almost right. about fifteen years, um, when Jonathan said he wanted to talk about Death to Smoochie, I had that thought too, right? right. And, Death to Smoochie, and Death to Smoochie ends up being that's um, I think my favorite thing about this project that you're doing is that allowing it to be so open ended. Yeah allow um creates this amazing um opportunity for people to read meaning into something that should be silly or mundane or you know predictable or whatever and it it allows it to kind of blow out those ideas to something a little bit more um philosophical and interesting which is my favorite thing about narrative to begin with well that's what i hope i'm doing i yeah, I think you've hopefully, been successful so we far. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have anything else to ask you. No, uh, it's interesting because I was like so ready to really like like barrel go down the barrel about relationships and and Joel and Clementine, but I think we like danced around it and then finally like I don't think I have anything else. Um, I wanted I wanted to I wanted to get broad ideas. Yeah. Right? I wanted yeah, yeah. to challenge how you think about your favorite movie too. I don't know that I actually wanted to do that, but it's I, was just saying, I don't know if you challenge yeah. challenge it, but like yeah, it I mean I didn't actually want to do that. So I do love like I have always loved Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. Um, just like on a surface value of it being extremely well filmed. It was a really good script, but like when, when you started this project and I was like, Oh, if he ever interviewed me, what movie would I want? And like eternal sunshine was the first one. Cause it's my favorite movie. And I loved going back and rewatching it and be like, yeah, yeah, this is my favorite movie for a reason. And there is this intense spiritual element to it that is not so it's not obvious it's just again it's just existence and what it is to exist and the imperfection and the beauty in that imperfection like it's awesome to be able to articulate that well while it is presented as science fiction the concept of editing memories is metaphysical yeah so there is there is spirituality in that yeah absolutely um so yeah uh, before we watched this together this week to talk about it, when was the last time you watched it? Oh, shit. It's been like eight years. Eight years. Some, I mean, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. I used to, when it first came out on DVD, 
I watched it solid dozen times like within a few years i mean it was like that and like i said that and amelie were my go-to movies whenever i was feeling feeling the feels feeling the emotions it didn't matter what the emotions were if i were feeling them i would watch that or amelie and i would just feel better that's why like when (laughs) when we put it on and it was the first chords of the john bryan music because i love john bryan's score in this it was like this incredible rush of nostalgia and joy just hit my heart. It was like, oh my gosh, this movie. <laughs> um, if it's been eight years since you watched it, uh, had you watched it all during your current relationship then? Does that predate? Predate Aaron? Yeah, I think it does, actually. Any uh, any insights watching it? In a... <laughs> yeah, actually... Um... Yeah, I mean, watching it now is completely framed by my current relationship with Aaron and all of our our triumphs and all of our low points. And we've had some low points, like speaking of the abortion and, and also just... Um, I think um, the moment when they say okay to each other... Yeah is profound just for its own sake. But for me being in a long-term relationship where like, as far as I know, this is for life. Obviously anything can happen, but as far as I know, this, this relationship is for life. The act of knowing all of the things about your partner that are just the worst. (laughs) that are just so goddamn annoying. Or sometimes even uh, downright destructive. Yeah. Knowing that and still still choosing to make it work right. because it's worth it to make it work because the, the outcome of what you do for each other and the, the ability to grow and change and evolve within each other saying okay to it all is like that is what marriage is i mean aaron and i are not legally married but we're essentially married i think the the clementine joel okay is more of a true i do than anything we've seen in in marriage movies there is there is something to that idea uh as a form of informed consent right of, yeah. of of learning, you know, being at least the most aware of where this situation could end and still saying, yes. Yes. I want that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, obviously not 100% aware. You're not omniscient. Um, right. You, um, and as you said, you know, things can happen. But uh, but you've, uh, you've looked at your relationship and you said, yeah. Yeah. I can keep it this we can do this. Yeah. yeah. I accept you for exactly what you are and we are we are going to be better right. as we work through this together. Yeah. That's that's um that is something that's incredibly powerful and uh it, it's something that is you can't understand it until you're in the midst of it at its worst. Right. At its worst and you're you're looking at that door. And you're like, I could, I could just go through that door, 
But instead, I'm going to continue to say okay to this. Yeah. I will do yeah. this. Yeah. Um, I don't... Uh, this might might put us on a big tangent that, that sends us way over time. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll edit all of this out. Right. But, uh, but I think... Um, you know, and I'm I'm not in a relationship right now. I haven't been for years. But I think I think um, the uh, the Marie Kondo idea of of letting go of that what doesn't bring you joy. Yeah, has a lot of positive in it. Yeah, but I think it it might lead to walking out that door when you should close that door and put some, put some work into things too. Um, and I think there's there's a certain <laughs> danger there, and I don't. Specify there. I think there's. Right. Um, you need to, you need to do what's right for you. Yeah. But you don't need to do what's just easy for you. Right? Well, I mean, I to the idea of bringing joy. I mean, if the, if the summation of my relationship, if I were to take all the parts and put them together. And the the sum of all the parts didn't bring me joy. Yeah. Go out the oh, door right. and you right. slam that shit shut. Oh, right, yeah, right. I do not want to. Right, right, right. <laughs> right, right. Well, like, and that's the thing. Uh, it's like you have to look at the yes. sum of the parts. And there are, there for are, sure. There are, yeah. Everyone. But I agree. I don't, I don't at all say that to suggest that if there are any problems, you right, should, right. there are problems that you shouldn't work on. You should just get out. Absolutely. Uh, but I do agree with yeah. your idea. The idea, like, yeah, I mean, all relationships that are worth a damn are hard right. work. They are hard work. They're incredible. It's the kind of hard work that we need to be expansive beings. Yeah. But any relationship that is truly vulnerable, that truly will um, uh, push you, that causes like those ugly bits, the, the shadow side of yourself, those ugly bits to come out, um, that causes you to have to confront all of that about yourself and your partner, those are worth, relationships worth having. Yeah. As long as it's done in a place of mutual respect, right. where it's safe, you know, like Aaron, Aaron has had to put up with a drunken, many a drunken nights of me losing it yeah. and just letting my shadow side come out in a real hard way. And like, he has been very honest with me where he's like, you don't get to continue to do this. Yeah. You've got to, conf- you're going to have to figure something out because this part of you is harmful. Yeah. And he did it lovingly. He did it compassionately. He did it without making me feel like I was bad. But he also made me deal with the fact that I was acting out in a way that was destructive, that wasn't healthy for myself or him or us as a unit. Those are the kind of relationships that are worth saying okay to, right. you know, that are worth saying I do too. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting, which, again, is to say that when you look at Joel and Clementine, you're like, guys, yeah. <laughs> come on. Um, <laughs> when your mom listens to this and hears that you say, those are the sorts of relationships it's worth saying I do too. Right. Um, <laughs> Do you have? A, do you want to present a defense now to as to why you're not married? 
or do you want to wait till that actually happens to have that conversation? No, I'm not. Uh, so, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind uh, from, uh, what year did this come out? 2004. 2004. Yeah. Um, which is the same year as uh, Garden State and the year before Elizabeth Town, so... They're all right around there anyway. Was yeah. Garden State 2004? Yeah, Holy sure. shit. No yeah. wonder my night might be 19 was like an intense <laughs> year for me. But yeah, uh, thank you so much yeah. for joining. For thank you for having for, me. This has yeah, been a blast. This has been a great conversation. This is my very first podcast. There you go. <laughs> you are uh, You're not nearly as much of a white wind westerner as you might pretend to be. <laughs> By the time you're 30, you should have been on at least five podcasts. At least. Uh, so, yeah, uh, just a great conversation. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thank for, you. Thanks for, for having me. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. I'm your, like, number one fan of this podcast, so I'm really excited <laughs> to do it. You are you are the one person to talk to me the most about. Uh, so, so in that regard, yes, you are the number one fan. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so other people who are listening and enjoying... Uh, ascended fan person, uh, <laughs> Corinne would like you uh, would would encourage you to also get in contact with me and say, hey, yeah, let's do this. Hey, he talked about meta. What was it? Meta, uh, new sincerity. Meta. Uh, what is that called? Po- uh, meta modernism. Oh my yeah. gosh, I can't believe I forgot. I about talked it. about meta modernism with the on the episode with Jonathan because of Corinne. Because of me. Yeah. Um, I almost she wanted. Is the, to... She is the unnamed friend who I am. Who, who I, I said brought that to my attention. I almost wanted to talk about it today, but it didn't fit for Eternal Sunshine <laughs> at all because it's just pure sincerity. But right, like, right. I really wanted to talk about it. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we'll come back sometime Yay. and talk about like something that. else. I would like that too, but uh, I don't want to start repeating guests for. For a little bit. All right. So, all right. So I'll give you a that, year. We'll Blackburn. Blackburn. <laughs> right. Again, cool. thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, uh, yeah, thank you listeners, for uh, for listening to Cinema Credo. We'll see you next time. Strength and mercy for me, and from me every day. Thank you for listening to Cinema Credo, conversations on film and faith. I'm your host and writer, Adam Bless. Film clips this week are used under fair use. Thank you to Steve Richter for the use of our theme song, Madrasita, off of his album, Beloved. Check out his work at steverichter.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-R-I-C-H-T-E-R.com. com. <laughs>